Good morning, everyone. Good seeing you all here this morning. Those of you who are in the back in the remote service, we want you to know that we're glad that you're here. As well as those of you who are listening across the land, possibly even in other countries, we just want you to know that being able to gather together like this is truly a, a blessing that God has given us, not only to be here physically present, but also to do so with uh, technology. What an incredible blessing that is for uh, each and every one of us. So good morning. Uh, to all. Let me make you aware of just a couple of very brief things here. Number one is let me encourage you to check out our podcast. We usually record the podcast on Wednesday and then we post it on Thursday, so it will be out there for you to listen to. It goes anywhere from 15 to about 20 uh, minutes or so, but I think it's, it's, it's a good time that uh, Clint and Jared and myself uh, have with each other as we talk about spiritual matters, so you might want to uh, check that out. Let me also remind you of our Bible studies that we have on Sunday evening at, seven at 6 o'clock and then on Wednesday evening at 7 o'clock. You can go to the number that is behind me in order to register to be in here uh, in person during the uh, classes or, of course, you can stream online. Also, yesterday, uh, we had an incredible event here that happened by our, our teens. I'm just so proud of our teens. They did a, a car wash uh, to, to help out the Ramirez family. As you know, Annabelle was one of our missionaries in Guatemala that we helped support, and Annabelle passed away. And so the teens had come up with a way in which they are able to uh, help um, financially some of the things that are going on with the Ramirez family, uh, with Damaris and her her uh, daughters, and so they just did an incredible uh, uh, event yesterday and a, an incredible ministry as they washed our cars. I know I came down, had my car washed. It was clean for about about three minutes, and then it got rained on again. But anyway, it was, it was still a great event, and, and I'm so proud of our teams that they did that for us. So, you know, when you think about there are certain names that when you hear the, the name, you automatically are able to recognize that person and identify who that person is. For instance, when you see the name Michael Jordan, automatically our brains go right away to a professional basketball player, uh, known also as the GOAT. What is the GOAT? Well, he's the greatest of all time basketball players, and I think he has the stats to back that fact up. When you think about the fact that he won six NBA championships with the Chicago Bulls from the mid-80s to the late-90s, uh, he dominated the basketball ball world. Uh, he received at least five times the most valuable player award in the league itself. Three times he was the most valuable player in the uh, All-Stars. He, he played on the Olympic team where they won a gold medal. That we're talking about an incredible athlete in and of him, himself. As you think about Michael Jordan, I, thought, I got to think to myself, you know, when you look at Michael Jordan, he just looks like one of those just run-of-the-mill basketball players. Nothing really significant stands out, but yet there's something that separates him. So what is it that separates Michael Jordan from all other basketball players that he plays with? Not that I've watched all the basketball players, but, but I have watched this guy play. And I'm here to tell you that this guy plays like none other. And I think one of the reasons that he separates himself from others is the fact that he has a drive. He has a drive to excel in the God-given gifts that, that ha he has been given. And he, does the, he didn't just take them for granted, but he pushed himself and pushed himself. And not only did he push himself, but he pushed his teammates as well. Some say he even dragged them along as he won these six NBA championships. To do this is an incredible feet in and of itself. Well, I'll share this with you because <clears throat> I believe that God has given certain individuals God-given abilities. 
He's given some great mental faculties. There are some people that just stand out because of their giftedness. But they don't take those gifts for granted. They take those gifts and they use them in their unique way and excel in them. Well, just as that is true when you talk about physical capabilities or mental capabilities, I believe that's true when you talk about spiritual things. And when you talk about individuals in the church itself, that, that God has blessed the church with incredible gifts, and not only that, but he has given individuals their unique gifts and their unique uh, blessings. Now, as you know, at the beginning of the year, I began sharing with you our theme, which is identity. And I said to you at that time that when we talk about identity, we could break it up into two series. The first series was embracing your true nature, take from 2 Peter, the first chapter, verses 1 down through 13, and in particular, verses 5 through 7. And in verses 5 through 7, Peter, he outlines before us seven qualities that should cause us to stand out from the rest of the world that is around us. Beginning this morning, I'm going to share with you the second part of our theme and its series, and that is embracing your unique gifts and talents. And the question that I would ask of you is, as you think about your unique gifts and talents, would you say that you know them? And not only do you know them and have recognized them, but you are using them. That you're using them to build up the body of Christ, that you're using them to glorify God with your, your life. The text that we're going to be using for this series is found over in Romans, the 12th chapter, verses 1 through 8. And so I'd invite you to open your Bibles to that section of Scripture, or if you're using an electronic device, uh, just scroll over to that section. But listen to what Paul, writing to the Romans, said, beginning in verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 1 and following. There he says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God which is your spiritual service of worship and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect for through the grace given to me I say to every man among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each uh, a measure of faith for just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are of one body in Christ, and individually members of it, or of one another. Uh, and since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the portion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, or he who gives in liberality, or he who leads with diligence, or he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. In that section of scripture, Paul lays out some important matters when it comes down to the Lord's body being effective, or being healthy, or being vital, or having vitality or energy within it. Beginning in the 12th chapter and going to the end of the book itself, Paul lays out some of the 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 qualities, if you will, or the characteristics of how to live the Christian faith in everyday life. We're going to focus in here on the 12th chapter or the text we just read because I think it, within that text, we're able to see what God wants. He, he, he is showing to us what our full potential can be as we strive to do the things that would be pleasing to God and the things that would uh, cause the church to be healthy and to, to grow. So let's begin by just first talking about embracing your unique gifts and talents. And to recognize that in order to do so, it requires us to focus within. 
The key here is focusing within. Notice how he begins the chapter by saying in verse 1, he says, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your, what he says, your reasonable, reasonable or rational service of worship. He's talking about giving our, ourselves to God. He's talking about a consecration, if you will. When he says, offer up your bodies as living and holy sacrifices, then he's saying something about this idea of dedication, and that's what the word consecration means. It's an act of dedicating oneself to the surface uh, and worship of God. And it's a worship in the fact that he says that we're to let our, give our bodies as living and holy sacrifices to God. And so it's something that goes upward. But as you continue on in the text, you'll find that he's also going to be talking about some horizontal things here. So he's talking about uh, ourselves dedicating ourselves uh, to, to God to be living sacrifices. The passage then calls on believers to dedicate themselves to, to God. The Christians should willfully reserve the totality of their, their lives for the Lord's good pleasure. And so when you, when you think of the Lord's good pleasure or his, his purposes, well, the body is the totality of who we are. It's how we think. It's how we feel. It's the emotions that are within us. It's our desires. It's the plans that we make. It's every part of the totality. Since our minds live within these bodies, we are to offer up our bodies, which means we're to offer up everything there is for us to give to, to God. However, because believers are alive and not dead sacrifices, they have a tendency to want to crawl off the altar. We have a tendency to want to crawl off the altar and forget that we are to be living sacrifices. And, and I think some of the reason for that is, is that as we go through the Christian life and we go through the various circumstances of life, for instance, with this pandemic, it's easy for us to become complacent. It's very easy for us to get distracted from what our purposes are. It's easy for us to maybe even become lackadaisical or even lazy about our, our faith and, and start moving more towards the world than towards God. So at times we have to re remember those things. And that's why I think it takes a deliberate decision to place oneself at God's disposal on a, a repeated basis. It's not a once and for all kind of sacrifice, but it's a sacrifice where we're constantly giving of ourselves. And that's why he says that we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. We are living, we are alive, and so we are constantly giving ourselves over to, to God. Some have said to me, over the years, probably even even of, of recent, that what the church needs now with this pandemic going on is it needs revival. And I would not disagree with that. But I'm here to tell you that revival does not come from, you know, hellfire and brimstone sermons. It doesn't even come from a series of sub sermons or a multiplicity of series of sermons. It doesn't come from reading some great book on church growth or, or how to breathe spirit into the church. It doesn't come from special revival meetings or seminars or anything of that nature. I believe if the church is to be revived, I think that revival comes from transformation. Disciples who are willing to sacrifice all on the altar of God, where we give of ourselves completely, I'm talking about when we offer our bodies, our emotions, our thoughts, our, our desires, our plans, along with our gifts and talents that God has given to us. When we wholly give those to God, it will not only revive us as individuals, it will revive the church as a whole. 
So revival, I think, is necessary, but revival begins within. As we offer up our bodies as living and holy sacrifices, when we completely give ourselves totally over to, to God. I'm talking about transformation. Look at verse 2. In verse 2 he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. What he's saying there, he's talking about a transformation process, and he begins by a negative, and then he goes to a positive. And the negative is he talks about not conforming. So he says, do not conform to this world. That is, don't assume an outward expression that does not come from within. Well, how does this expression come to us? How are we, how does this, this we assume this outward expression? Well, the outward expression, it comes from the pattern of the world. It comes from its customs. It comes from its behaviors. It comes from the way the world thinks. It's the idea of an anti-God kind of, of mode, if you will. We begin to image a non-Christian value, uh, values and concerns rather than Christian or those that have been established by God. Now, I want to pause here and, and get you to think about this idea of conformity because when you're talking about conforming to something, he says, do not be conformed to the world. Don't allow the world to distract you. Don't allow the world to press in upon you and cause you to think or have concerns that are outside those things that God has established as right. And, as, as right. A good example of this would be last week as I shared with you a lesson on entrusting your vote to God. You might recall at one section of that sermon that I talked to you about, you know, uh, the uh, politicians that are running, the candidates for presidency, and I talked to you about their political platforms. And in that lesson there, I talked to you about such, a, such subjects as the sanctity of life or abortion. And I said to you, God has spoken very clearly about that, but the world has spoken clearly about it as well. In 1973, from Roe v. Wade, the United States Supreme Court legalized abortion, the right for a woman to abort her, her, her child. God has spoken about the preciousness of what life is about in Psalm 139. And there he says the sanctity of life, the life itself in the womb of a mother is something that is precious and alive. So which one do we support? Do we support what the world says is the values of the world that most of the world accepts, or do we accept the values of God and what he has said? I spoke to you about the LGBT uh, community and what God says about that. Well, we know in 2015, the Supreme Court uh, of the United States said in, uh, in uh, Eberfeld and, and, and Hodges, it said, listen, uh, uh, same-sex marriage is now allowed. It's, it's legal, but God has this to say about it. So when I spoke about those things, did it make you feel comfortable or uncomfortable? Which one did you find yourself moving closer to or conforming to. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about conforming to the world itself. And Peter and, and, and Paul says, listen, he says, don't try to mimic the world's system. In fact, he says, you're to quit thinking. You're to quit behaving like the world around you. Do not be conformed to the world, but he says, instead, be transformed. That is, the transformed by the renewing of your mind. We all understand this idea of transformation. It comes from the Greek word metamorpho, 
It means to change into another form. Uh, we get that when you talk about, you know, metamorphosis. For instance, if you talk about a caterpillar turning into a beautiful butterfly or a tadpole transforming into a frog. God says that when we become Christians, when we give our lives over to God, a transformation takes, takes place. That we're trans being transformed by the renewing of our mind, but in a moment, God transformed us when we became Christians. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17 says, If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation or a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So there was a transforming that took place in terms of our relationship with God, but there is a continued transformation that is to be going on within our, our minds. So Paul says it begins with the mind, which refers to the things that we perceive and understand that become our values by which we make judgments about what is right and what is wrong. Even when it comes down to recognizing the unique gifts and talents that God has given us and how we are used them for the advancement of the body of, of Christ. So the key to the process is our minds, uh, for it's through our minds that our thoughts, that our, our thought life that controls our attitudes, our feelings, and our behaviors or our actions. So Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. This world has its agenda, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might be able to prove what is pleasing and what is acceptable to God. Paul says this is our reasonable act of service or worship that we offer to them as we give uh, not only our bodies but our minds over to, to God. So in other words, we are to let our lives be altered from the inside out and not the outside in. So the question that I would ask you this morning as you think about the lesson itself is where are you in terms of conformity? Where are you in terms of transfer? The only way that the Holy Spirit can accomplish this transformation process is to renew our thinking. And he renews our thinking by us getting into his word. And so we don't become simply those who read his word or study his word or come to Bible classes or worship services or, or the things of that nature. Those are not bad things. I'm talking about allowing the word of God to transform the way we think and transform the way we act the way we speak. So 2 Timothy, the third chapter, verse 16 says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture is God-breathed. It originates from God. And he says it's profitable. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God or woman of God might be thoroughly furnished or adequately equipped in every good work. And so it's the Word of God that transforms our minds. The Word of God, of course, is the medium of the Spirit. And so as we take the Word of God and, and bring it into our minds, we move it from our minds into our hearts and from our hearts to our hands and to our feet or to our, our actions. The next part, then, after you go through consecration and, and transformation, is evaluation. Look what he says in verse 3. For though by the grace... Uh, so though by the grace given to me, I say to every man among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of, of faith. So the role that we play in transformation is self-evaluation. We look at ourselves. We, we take stock of our, our, ourselves. And the idea is that we're not to be prideful or conceited. 
Paul says, let each man take a look at himself and not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. In other words, don't think you're better than you really are. And don't think you're better than other people. Especially when it comes down to your gifts and your talents that are, are, are given to you by God as unique to you. Don't think that you're better because maybe you have a capacity or maybe a gift or a multiplicity of gifts that seem to be really up there when there are other gifts that are just a single gift and maybe seem to be insignificant. To God, all gifts are gifts and are all, are, all blessings. And so Paul is saying, be careful that you don't look down on other uh, people. And then the latter part of verse B, uh, B he says, uh, verse 3 and verse B, uh, he says, we need to gain an accurate, honest view of ourselves, our strengths and weaknesses, our God-given talents and, and gifts, and our human deficiencies. Know who you really are. That will help temper how you view others and even how you view yourself. So Paul, he's talking about this transformation process that goes on. And he begins by talking about, have you consecrated your life? Have you dedicated your bodies, your minds completely over to God? Are you being transformed? And what's your evaluation of yourself? When you are being honest with yourself, when you get down to what is reality, how do you view yourself and how do you view others around you? Once you're able to get a grip on that, once you're able to embrace those three things there, then we're able to do some incredible things. Then we're able to embrace our unique gifts and talents and use them for ministry. Look at verses 4 through 8. It says, For just as we have many members in one body, and all members do not have the same function, so we who are many are of one body in Christ and individually members of of another and since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us let each exercise them accordingly and then he goes on and he lays out seven exemplary kinds of gifts or talents that god has blessed us with but he begins by comparing the church to a human body there in verses four and five and there he says that the church is composed of many members the analogy is that of a human body when you think about your, your human body, well, you have a lot of different parts to the human body, and all of them are necessary to the function of your body so that it is healthy and that there is a vitality that is, is there. So my eyes are important. My nose is important. My tongue is important. My ears are important. My hands are important. My feet are important. All of your, even some of, the, uh, some of the organs within the body that you cannot see are significant and useful. So he is saying that, listen, the human body is made up of a lot of members, and all those members, all those pieces, have to work in concert, in harmony with one another for that body to be healthy. And he is saying the church is no different. Within the body of Christ, you have everyone that is out there, and each of us have a significant, useful role that each member is important to the body, and there are no insignificant parts of the body, but each one is needed. So the body is composed of many members playing out their function or their, their role. Notice also that the church uh, members are interrelated, which means they are dependent upon one another. Just as my hands and my eyes are dependent upon themselves, well, they can't work separately apart. 
if my eyes see something that I want to take up, my eyes don't pick up things, my hands pick up things. If my eyes see that I need to go to a certain place, then my eyes will not get me to that certain place unless my legs and my feet take me to that certain place. You understand what I'm saying? I'm saying that each member of this body is dependent upon the other members to work in concert with one another. Well, it's no different when you talk about the body of Christ. When you talk about the membership of the body of Christ, every single one of us are interrelated and are, are needed. And the only way that the body of Christ can experience vitality or health or balance is by each of its members uh, working for the benefit of all. We're all engaged in it. So Paul uses an incredible analogy that both you and I can understand when it comes down to the functioning of a church, of what makes it healthy and what makes it move forward and what gives benefit to all. When every member is engaged, when every member is a part of the body, then the body becomes healthy and is able to move forward. Then he talks about the giftedness of the believers within that body in verses 6 through 8. And we read verse 6, and verse 6 there, he says, listen, we all have gifts, but the gifts are not all the same, they, they differ. So he says, number one, we all have gifts. There's no such thing as a person without a gift within the body of Christ. Every individual, every person in here, every person under the sound of my voice has been given a gift. When you came into the church, God gave you a gift. At least one. Some people he gives a multiplicity of gifts or talents too. But every person has a gift and is to use it for the body of Christ. The gift or the talent uh, we possess differ. It's not the same. Just like the physical body has different members that have different gifts. Well, in the church, each person has a gift and those gifts are, are different. If they were all the same, you'd have an unbalanced body or an unbalanced church so in our family here in this congregation at linda road we have each member with at least a gift maybe a multiplicity of gift and those gifts differ not all of us are the same gift you don't have the gift that i have i don't have the gift that you have but both gifts are important to the health of the the church we are to exercise our gifts or our talents for the benefit of the body that's why we have we don't have them just for ourselves but we have it in order to strengthen the body we have them in order to energize the body we have them in order to revitalize the body so the the, the talents are for the benefit of all concerned uh, here's the passage of scripture that is behind me notice it says as each has received a gift use it for the benefit of one another so each of us have a gift the gifts are different, and we're to use them to benefit the body of, of Christ. Let me take a moment and talk to you about the gift that he talks about there in Romans 6. The word gift there is the Greek word charisma. It's where we get our word uh, charismatic or charisma. Uh, you've probably seen people where you say, you know, that guy really has a lot of charisma. Or that girl has or woman has charisma. There's something about that person that draws you to them, that causes you to take notice of them. Paul is saying within the body of Christ, he is given charisma. He is given gifts to the body that causes us to stand out in our unique kind of ways. 
And then he goes down through seven exemplary uh, gifts or talents. Now, remember when we talked about 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, we talked about seven qualities. Seven is perfection, is the idea of perfection. The qualities go beyond those, by the way. And in this section here, he uses seven exemplary uh, gifts or, or talents, which is perfection. He has made the church perfect when we all use our gifts. I think the gifts can go beyond that, but notice the gifts, encouragement, giving, leadership, mercy, prophecy, which I believe is proclamation, a service, a teaching. Those are all gifts that God has given to the church that causes it to stand out and to fulfill its function. Now, these gifts are different from the pneumaticos or the spiritual gifts or the miraculous gifts that are given in measure. For instance, when you look at 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, or 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter, and maybe a few others, there it talks about healing and prophecy and discernment and tongues or language, interpretation of tongues, wisdom, uh, miracles, uh, a number of others. It goes down through the supernatural gifts that was given to the infant church to bring it along. When you talk about tongues or languages, you're talking about languages that people could speak without any kind of education. Or those who are able to interpret or translate the tongues, they're able to do so without any kind of education. It was a supernatural gift that was given to that individual. But you're saying, well, okay, well, how do they differ? How do you know that the charisma is different from the pneumatic coast? The reason I know that is because Romans 1 and verse 11. Paul says this, Paul says, I wanted to come to you, those of you who are in Rome, in order that I might impart a spiritual thing to you or a spiritual gift to you. The word used there is pneumaticos. I wanted to come and lay my hands upon you in order that you might receive a supernatural gift, but I have not been able to do so. But we learn later on in chapter 12 that the church is gifted. It's gifted with natural gifts or natural talents, if you will, these seven that are there. And these natural gifts of God are no less powerful or effective. People say today, well, listen, if we had the gifts that they had in the first century, if we were to perform signs and miracles and wonders, if we were able to speak in tongues and interpret tongues, if we were to give fresh revelation and be able to discern whether that fresh revelation was accurate or not, the church would be, no, would be so much stronger. And the answer to that is not so. The church in Rome was an extremely strong church in a lot of ways. They had seven gifts that Paul reminds them of that he says are going to be powerful and effective to make the church healthy and, and strong. So Paul says, as each has received a gift, it is used for the service of one another. So these gifts are powerful. The gifts that we have in the church today, the church today is no less powerful than the church of the first century. We are still gifted by, by God. So let's close by embracing the, the message itself. When you, we look at this, I think that Paul lays out uh, two things for us to think about. One talks about the church uh, universally. And the other talks about the church locally. So we're talking about the universal church and the local church. We're talking about personal responsibility and then corporate responsibility. So think about it being personally speaking. We are to be accepting of ourselves 
that uh, the accepting of ourselves precedes the giving of ourselves. So what do we mean by that? We need to understand that when we think that we are insignificant or useless in the body of Christ, we paralyze ourselves. Not only do we paralyze ourselves, but we do a disservice to the body of Christ because we think that we are insignificant or because we think that we are not useful within the body. Think about your physical body. What if parts of your physical body were to decide, I'm no longer going to function because I feel insignificant. You can't see me, and so since you can't see me, I'm not going to work anymore. Take your kidneys, for example. I've never seen my kidneys. I've seen pictures of kidneys, and so scientifically I know from information that I have kidneys within me, but I don't see these kidneys. But what if my kidneys just decide one day I'm not going to work anymore? I'm through working for your body. Well, guess what would happen to my body? I mean, toxicity would come in very quickly, and I'd be in trouble very quickly. It may seem as though it is insignificant. I may take them for granted, but I know that they are, are necessary. Even within the body of Christ, there are no insignificant members. When members quit, when members begin to stop functioning, it harms the body. So accepting ourselves precedes giving ourselves. When we have an accurate picture and embrace the fact that each of us have been gifted or have at least a gift, that makes us a significant part of the congregation here at Linder Road. Number two, giving of ourselves means accepting others uh, and who they are. That keeps us from thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. There are those who have gifts that are of a capacity that seems to stand out more so than others. And then there are those who have gifts that don't seem to be as significant, not as high a capacity. But nevertheless, they are no less important, and no one is more important than the other individual. I am simply a tool, and God says that I'm to use this tool or this body for the purpose of righteousness to use your gift. I think what the challenge for the church is this. I think the challenge is, is to take my gift and then try to excel in that gift, try to grow in that gift. If God has given me one gift and I handle it accurately or handle it rightly, then I believe God will give me another gift and another gift. And I've experienced that in my life. Do you know that there was a time in my life when I could not get up in front of people and speak? I would not speak. In high school, I was a straight-A student in high school, except for when it came down to speech. And they said, well, you have to give an oral report. Well, no, I'm not. I'll give a written report. No, you've got to give an oral report. Then you can give me an E or an I, an incomplete, because I'm not going to do it. And I didn't do it because... I was just afraid to do so. And then one day I thought, you know what? I ought to go to a school of preaching. I don't know what I was thinking. I don't, I mean, I, did, I was shocked when I got there on the first day and I had to get up and give a small speech about myself. Scary thing. When you, but listen, that, I excelled or I pushed myself beyond that. I was thinking about Bud this morning when you got up and you were speaking at the Lord's Supper, and I was thinking to myself, man, I'm so impressed with the men of our congregation, how they're able to overcome over, able to overcome that fright or that fear of getting up and speak. You did a great job this morning, brother. Thank you. But anyway, so many are, are like that. You know? And so when you take a gift and you use it and excel in it, then I just believe God gives you uh, other gifts. And then I think he gives some telltale uh, signs of a healthy congregation in relationship vertically with God and then in relationship horizontally with one 
another. The first one I think is this, is genuine spirituality. I think that you can tell a healthy church when they display, display a flow of authentic spiritual Christianity in every member. I'm talking about members who not only study the word of God, but take the word of God and move it into their hearts and move it from their hearts into their thought life and into their speech and into their action. I'm talking about people who are being led by the Spirit as they take the words of the Holy Spirit and incorporate them and make them a part of their lives and allow them to transform them, then I believe the church has a genuine spirituality that is incredible. Number two, there's a, spot, a, a positive spontaneity to a healthy church. A healthy church is one that willingly gives of itself. It takes its gifts and its talents and gets itself involved without, without the leadership having to prod it alone, along. I thought about our teen's car wash yesterday that they did for the Ramirez family. Do you know that that came from within the teens themselves? Didn't come from elders. Didn't come from the youth minister. It came from the teens themselves that said, we want to do something that is good. There's a cause that's out there that we as teenagers can involve ourselves in, and they were the ones that made that happen. And so a, a positive spontaneity is one where the church recognizes its gifts and its talents and gets involved in the ministry. It volunteers in the ministry and doesn't have to be pushed or prodded along. Then there's a life-giving sacrifice. We give of ourselves. We don't look at everything and, and say, you know what, if I do this, it's going to cost too much. When we talk about being living sacrifices, uh, we are willing to pay the cost in order to make something happen that is of a positive, a positive nature. And so unique uh, gifts and talents. Do you know them? And if you know what your gift and your talent is, are you using it? And are you using it for the benefit of Christ? So that's what the journey that we're going to be going on for the next couple of months as we go down through those, those exemplary gifts and talents that Paul lays out before us that I believe that we find even within the body here at Linda Road. A number of years ago, a, a man decided that he wanted to uh, climb some of the uh, mountains in the Alps. So he went out and he hired a professional guide, a guy who had done it many times. So he hired this guy and, and they took, got off and got to the mountains and they began to climb. And, and this guy was an inexperienced climber, but he, he wanted to do so. And they said, with the right kind of, of guy there, you're going to be able to do it very well. So he hired the guide and they got off there. And after uh, hours and hours of climbing, uh, they began to go to areas where it became much more steep. I mean, the further they go, the steeper it got. The trail became less and less there. And, they get, and then at a, at a moment, they, they paused to, to catch their breath. They paused, and as he paused, he began to look around, and he looked down behind him, and all he could see were thousands of feet below him. He looked to his left, thousands of feet, to his right, thousands of feet, and he thought to himself, what in the world am I going to do? And he began to panic. And he, his head began to feel faint, and his knees began to buckle at which point the guide looked back at the man and he says, don't look down. If you look down, you're a dead man. You need to look at me. Look at my feet. Where I plant my feet, you plant your feet. Where I plant my hands, you plant your hands. You'll be all right. Just do what I say. Keep your eyes on me. And that's exactly what the man did. Where the guy's feet went, his feet went. 
and thus so until they reached to the top of the mountain safe and in victory. Well, I believe that when we talk about what we're going on, I think that's good advice. I think we need to be careful about looking back or looking down. It does us no good to look back to the days before March. Those were March. We're now in October. This is where we are as a church. It's dangerous for us to look back or to look down. It's only for us to, to look up. No one knows what lies ahead. In our elders' meetings, we debate all the time, when can we open up more? Should we shut down more? What should we, we do? Because this, this pandemic, this virus, is a moving target all the, all the time. But it's dangerous for us to look back. So we're constantly trying to look forward to what lies before us. But we do know this. We do know who made it to the top. Our job is to fix our eyes upon him. Jesus, he climbed to the, par- to the top, now seated at the right hand of God. We need to do the exact same thing as we climb, as we embrace our unique gifts and, and talents. Not looking down or looking back, but fixing our eyes on, on Jesus and placing our feet in our hands in that of God, uh, we will make it to the top. We'll do some incredible things, and the church will be revived as we embrace our unique gifts and talents to God's glory. So the message is yours. Your response is yours. I hope that you are thinking about identifying your gift and how you might use it for the benefit of us all. May God bless you as you do so, and while we stand and sing this song. Time is filled with swift transition. Not a breath of move can stand. Build your hopes on things eternal. Hold to God's unchanging hand. So why don't you hold to my God's unchanging hand? Why don't you hold to his hand? To God's unchanging hand who 